Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today's a special day because like in the last episode, or actually I don't even know when I'm going to publish it, but I got to talk with my housemate, uh, Jamie Thomas. And then today I'm also getting to talk with my other housemate, Guy Arnon, an Israeli gentleman who's been living with me for the last six months to a year roughly, who uh, got to know and love over the time we spent together. And he's yet another example of the stereotype not being true, if you will, of Israeli travelers. And I want to go into this really quickly because Israeli travelers, as you may or may not know, have a stereotype that they're very aggressive, they're rude, they're, they stick to each other, they, they're not always um, welcoming to other people, into their little tribes of people that they travel around with. And I've never found that. I have always really enjoyed the company of every single Israeli that I've ever traveled with. And you're just another example of that. So I actually went, as I introduce you to this podcast, I'd like to go straight into that and to get your opinion about why you think Israelis might have that stigma behind them. But with that said, Guy, please welcome to the show. I'm super happy to have you. I'm super happy to be here, Jabin. Yeah, dude. Really and nice so, to be going back to what I just said, you know, like, have you heard of this stereotype or do you know much about it? Yeah, like, Of course I heard about it and I'm kind of live, uh, I don't know, live by that, but I will be this person who know about the stereotype and trying to find those places who less groups of Israeli goes to. Uh, so you're searching then for places that Israelis aren't going as travelers? Is that what you're saying? Not particularly, but just the, the places usually they go to is more the touristic and me, me myself and my nature is not those places. Oh, I see. So, yeah, I don't know. I had the experience of Germans going to specific places or other countries have their own info. Right. So I was looking for the info, not for my Israeli friends. Okay. Looking for my info just from abroad or... With the luck. Yeah. Do you think, though, I mean, why do you think, though, Israelis might have that sort of stereotype or that stigma? Um, I've, I've heard, I've asked, I've asked other Israelis and they say, well, we come out of the army and we're really tight with the people that we have spent the last, what do you spend, three years in the military? Three years, women's two years. Okay. Yeah. And then you all celebrate leaving the army and you travel together. Yeah. And in some generations before yours, you were at war. You know, they, they, every day they were in situations that were life threatening. So when they did leave, it was time to really celebrate not only their own life, but their friends' lives. And they would go to places and they would just rip it, meaning like yeah. drugs, alcohol, fun, just to get away from the memories and the horrors that war did have to offer. Or your generation, as you kind of explained to me, hasn't really had that sort of experience with war. The war has existed, and it happens every few, every few years. There is a war, big or small, or something is happening. Okay. But just by living with the parents, with my grandma, who really trying to fo- not to force, but to educate us to be to success and to be good uh, education and everything in high level, 
and it comes the same in Israel uh, energy of parties and freedom and maybe in, included drugs or whatever mm-hmm. that in Israel is kind of uh, limited and you cannot do it for days or because maybe if I'm, even if I'm gonna go to other city maybe I see this neighbor who know my parents or someone that so the freedom is not so clear and then you finish the army and you just want to go to travel if it's these guys who go to India mm-hmm. people who go to India and explore this area or Central America and doing south to north north to south mm-hmm. depends on the times mm-hmm. and stopping by the parties and celebrating and drinking and doing whatever they feel like with the freedom with their friends from home so for them yeah now to meet this guy from America okay whatever you're a nice guy let's have a shot or If it's a woman, let's have sex. Mm-hmm. But there is this energy who drives you just to, to get fucked up and, and be free. Be free. Be wild. Be free and wild for a long time. Huh. For a long time until you go back home to Israel and you again try and maybe back to, back to your mellow uh, energy. So that's interesting because I haven't heard this before. So in, in your culture, Israeli culture, you are brought up in, a, in an environment where you're encouraged to be successful. very successful in whatever you you do and to do it with uh, the full type of focus and intention to be successful at it not necessarily okay just the the subject just the, this this word success okay is, is up high and you need to jump and reach it okay you don't necessarily get gonna get the tools or gonna get the treatment because okay I'm super hyperactive I got this uh, retalin pills in, when I was in school just to stay quiet is this true yeah really yeah You used to take Ritalin in school? Yeah. Okay. And many of my friends, the same. Really? I'm not the only one. Okay. It's very common. Uh-huh. So, they really want you to be the best. But if you're the best, okay, you're going to be there. Uh-huh. If you're not the best, you will find your way or not. Mm-hmm. But if you're the best, they proud you, they love you. I mean, as a, as a big energy by support from the government and uh, from school and systems. It's kind of the same in America. I mean, we are also taught to believe in ourselves, yeah. to strive for the, being the best, being successful. So the, I think the only, not the only, but big uh, difference is that Israel is a very young country. Mm-hmm. And my grandpa and grandma are older than the country. So they've been the first generation. It's the generation is still alive. Generation that suffered from the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. So all those people have this ambition and putting us for success because... We have really they have a really really good reason to push us for, for success yeah because not anymore mm-hmm. and for not anymore we need to have a strong army we need to have strong education mm-hmm. we have to be in the banks or just to, to be strong and good in everything to have this uh, safe safety net to, to know that yeah that this generation and this uh, Israeli tribe, We'll kept keep on growing and growing mm-hmm. um, so I wanted to kind of ask you know being that your grandparents were the first generation from Austria I believe to move to Israel my grand grandpa yeah came from Austria mm-hmm. born in Vienna and as the Holocaust started and through the time and all the events of the Holocaust he became he worked on a boat and was shipping uh, Jewish Jews from Europe to Israel and like secretly or uh, yeah it was a secretly some of the boat been stopped by the British in Israel in Israel lands mm-hmm. 
And in one of those boats, we met my grandpa. And love Your grandmother. St- yeah. And okay. the love story began. She's from born in Russia. Wow. So the love story began and they moved to, to actually the British locked her and all the boat in a camp, uh, a camp or whatever for, for a while. And then but in he, Israel, they moved to the British camp that was in Israel. Yeah. Okay. On the beach. Okay. Right where the boat stops. Okay. So the boat stopped. They took all the people and <laughs> stay here. Okay. And. So he was he was working a little bit more on the boat and decided to this time stay in Israel, and from that on he made uh, they got released and uh, my family started okay. my mother family. Forgive my ignorance. I mean, when you so I'm I'm learning now as we speak. Like so, they were brought over and put into British occupied camps that were in on Israeli in Israel on the beach in Israel. Is that in, correct? In this land who called Palestina. Okay. Before Israel it was, was British con, con, in control. Got it. And then so they had to stay there until the British said that you can leave and go start your own life? No, but they fight for that, for the improve, and it was the whole... Okay. It was burning. The ground was burning. Many okay. Jews coming nonstop. Okay. The British know that this land probably not going to be there anymore, mm-hmm. but they're still there and doing their own thing and in control on what's happening and through that many Jews came and started to build a kind of a military groups mm-hmm. divided by uh, different groups some mm-hmm. of them Europeans Jews who came or Jews from uh, more southern countries from Arab countries so it was uh, three groups who at the beginning fight between each other to take over lands and from that until one day New Israel, big war, all the countries fighting against us and gather around all the, those four uh, Israeli, the Etzel, the Lehi, Haganah, and one more. And then became Israel and one big army. Okay. So all this multiculture in one day, big war, and we won. Whatever happened, <laughs> I wasn't there. And... From that on, big Israeli mixed culture. Okay, interesting. I know it's a touchy subject. I'm not trying to bring up the past. I'm just, I don't know much about it. And I was just there a year ago in Israel, loved it, had a great experience, and was really struck by the multicultural environment that I was in. You know, the the, the variety of Jews that are in Israel is just crazy to me. I didn't realize there were, that, there were so many varieties in the world, you know, African Jews and I mean, Russian Jews are, you know, I think well-known, but yeah. it was just really interesting. And then, you know, we've had a lot of conversations in the time that we've spent together. And, you know, one that just came recently was you talking about um, your military service in the Israeli army, the mandatory service that every man and woman has to, has to participate in, and the effect that it had on you in that you became really good at sort of... Uh, adapting to the various cultures that are within this within israel you know because just because you're an israeli just because you're jew doesn't mean that everyone gets along with within that sort of like box that people put you in yeah and then you so you take this you take an office you're an officer in the military correct no no you weren't normal soldier you were a normal soldier operator okay operator of the heavy equipment okay so you're an operator of heavy equipment and you chose to be in a 
what would you call it? A platoon or a group? Let's call it a group. A group uh, that was all gangsters, Israeli gangsters. Is that right? Yeah, different uh, different style of uh, people than I am. And why did you choose that? And can you we talk a little bit about that because it's interesting. So. Why would you choose to go into a group of people that don't have any common sort of interest as you to spend, what, three years with these types of people and yeah. try to fit in? What was that about? So if we go back, before I chose to go there, mm-hmm. I wanted to be right as me and my friends. We all want to go to the best units and fight uh, commando and uh, all of this. And I had a friend in the engineering uh, special unit and... He convinced me, and of course, he, I knew he's going to stay there, so it's perfect for me to go, and he's already there for a few years. And I really wanted to do this, so I joined to the engineering. I joined to the uh, engineering unit, and you have tests for the first month if you want to go to a special units. And yeah, I failed, I got sick. It was tough four or five days of uh, running, no drinking, I don't know, this, the other guy was drinking solar benzene. Okay. Just because he was so stressed in drink and everyone got stressed of benzene. So it was a great um, physical experience. What is benzene? Fuel. Fuel. For what? We all drank water. He had fuel. He missed wrong by, there is two big tanks. One oh, for the cars, oh. one for the water of the people. <laughs> Okay. But it was dark at night and uh-huh. people are losing their mind and it's you get to a really tough... Uh, so you basically drank gasoline, more or less. Yeah, okay. and he went to the hospital. But okay. You get to... Uh, I remember that I was... I was so... St- not stressed, but tired and all I wanted is to pee. Mm-hmm. I had, we've been, we just walked now this morning, I don't know how many kilometers with full weight. And now we need to sit and wait for whatever test or paper uh, paper test style. And I have to pee, but I can't. They don't allow me to go to pee. And I can't, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. It's been, I don't know, close to one hour. No, you wait. You cannot move now. I peed, and I just waited to move to the side, and I peed from the second floor, and then I saw the other, there was an officer that I know, high level, but he was smiling to me, wink his uh, eye, and uh, was okay, but you get to, yeah. all I want is to pee, but now I need to sit with papers and do some numbers and build bombs on papers and whatever question uh, to check my uh, creativity or uh-huh. skills. And you said you failed all these tests? I, I had to pee. I couldn't get in focus. <laughs> I did it. So the first test was very shitty, and then I just I, I decided I go pee. Okay. Right. The, the other guy know about it, but I decided just that's what I'm gonna do now because I need it. And then I did the test and was was relaxed. Okay. I could be yeah. Yeah. And then so, but this is you trying to test so, into a, a a unit of special forces more exactly. or less. Special forces of uh, engineering bombs, rivers, and uh, super interesting. Uh, Super interesting uh, things to learn. Yeah. I don't like wars. I don't want to have the gun. But if I know how to climb and jump and uh, save myself from any situation in nature uh, with very good tools, that's, that's what I want to do. Right. One of these units. And as you join to the army, you realize that uh, you need to listen and it's all... 
yeah, every all of us think we know what is army, and but until you get it and you start living by that and you don't decide nothing. Mm-hmm. Right now it's three years, no, not mine, because I don't be the schedule. I don't decided almost nothing until though until I go up. The time is moving and uh, you have your own, more freedom or more. Uh, you you get more trust or you can be creative and get responsibility. Mm-hmm. But uh, just to be in this system and those special units now to spend one and a half year of killing my body, f- literally killing my body, killing my knees, my shoulder, whatever can be damaged because of super heavy weights for, yeah, okay, to know how to survive. After the army, probably I will not live in the woods or uh, try to survive. I will find a beach and surf or something like that, right? That's in my mind. So it was like a skill set that you didn't really need at the end. I mean, it's good to have. It's good it's to like, have. You live and write as you want to be the best. You, your parents want to be the doctor or the, the bank or whatever. Mm-hmm. Very high uh, success in life. The same, you join the army, you need to go to the best unit. Mm-hmm. So specifically, my parents, no. They didn't force me ever just for success and just to be good in who I am and what I am. But uh, all of my friends, everyone going to want to go to a special units, and I'm I'm athletic, I'm I'm skilled with my hands, and of course, also everyone expecting me, guy, he's gonna go to this, yeah, he's gonna be a big warrior, cause that's my energy, and uh, I live in nature. I want to know how to survive in nature. Yeah. Since before the army, so you have the, ex- this expectation and willing to be the best and do these things. And I realized that it's, it's going to be bullshit now for one and a half year and I have these girlfriends back home and I just, I just finished, uh, uh, I just, just before the army, I was in a world in, how you call it? So I, before the army I was playing frisbee, okay. ultimate frisbee. And I delayed my joining the army for going to Germany, world junior, ultimate competition so i'm with this energy first time i'm in the israeli nationals finally after doing sports so many years i got to this step that i'm in world cup now and i know that in a month after i come go back to israel i go back to the army so you join the army no more frisbee no more running on the grass and jumping and getting dirty and sweaty for fun now you have these uniforms and you roll on the sand and on the rocks and it's different type of jumps and uh, runs. So, yeah, it takes the fun out of it. You have all your friends, new friends that you just met, and you all suffer and uh, crying together, but uh, you do something that it's not so fun. It's challenging. It's very good for your body, maybe, or in your mind, in a way. But it's just not fun. This kind of really shaped you, I think, because in the conversations that we had, like, that experience seemed to make you really want to like never have to do anything like that again. Is that correct? And then you kind of want to go out and shape your own life in the way that you wanted. Um, yeah, I'm thankful for the skills and for the, these things, even though that I, if, as I knew myself, maybe if I wasn't in army, I will go to now for one year to the jungles and do it. But I kind of did it a little, mm-hmm. even before I was in the scouts, uh, as a kid all yep. my life. Mm-hmm. So every summer going to the nature, building stuff, cooking our own food as kids. So I've been living by that since before. And yeah, it was the best unit. I really wanted to go with the best soldiers, 
my friend is there. I have another friend. He's the of, my officer now. And I know that all I need to do is to finish those days. Mm-hmm. Good, bad, to be smart, to be the fa- It doesn't matter. All I need to, f- to do is finish and I'm there. And then my friends and all are going to be safe. But then when I joined to this army, I saw together with me, we were groups of uh, 30, 30 soldiers, new soldiers in my group. And all those... Uh, all those gangsters, all those fuckers that you don't like and don't do nothing and no way they're going to listen to what the officer says. All they want is to go to and to be a heavy equipment operator. Because you, do, you don't carry your weapon, you don't have all the stuff on you. Mm-hmm. You're in a truck, you sit on a chair, <laughs> the air conditioning, moving earth from side to side, maybe crushing houses or... Yeah. Yeah. Whatever, bus... Okay, go and move this bus to this area because there is a drill. So you go with the truck and you lift the bus and you start moving. It's a nice mission to do. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was the first time to realize that there is a unit like this. There are warriors. There is weapon. You practice shooting. You do everything. But you still, but you're in, a, in an operation. You do, you sit in a truck. So I thought it's amazing. It's great for me. I can go there and uh, maybe not stay all the weekends in the army. Other units, other ways that I could take, I would stay much longer days in the army. Ah, but see. this unit, they stay almost every weekend, every two weekends, you go home. So I can go back home and still play, play frisbee. I can still practice, because if every week, every two weeks I play, it's good enough and I can go this year again to... Europe mm-hmm. uh, juniors champions. So it's great. That's what I want. So after four months, the first uh, training of army, usually they send all those soldiers that they don't want to handle with anymore. They send them to those units and keep, and they keep on going for the next four months of training for with the uh, better soldiers or better uh, soldiers who are going to listen a little bit more. Take it seriously. Yeah. But I was a good soldier. I was listening to what they say and I was doing what I what they want every time. So they didn't let me to go there, right? I'm I'm not fit. I'm not fit in this unit. It doesn't make why look at you. Do you ask to go there? It doesn't fit. You will be you'll be their commander. You go, we have a special there, you're gonna be the operator and the commander together. It's a special something I don't know, new right? They're selling you those bullshit, so you're gonna stay now, keep on the training. So I stayed another four months with the, uh, yeah, I didn't want it to stay. I understand that now, okay, I will do those next four months because I do fit in to be a warrior and I do fit in to fight hard and uh, work my body to have this experience. So it was okay because I, I really didn't expect that they're going to give me so easy to go to this unit. And so I stayed more for another four months. And as the time passed, I was realizing, okay, because I had the decision, I'm moving, I'm going to be in this unit. So through the time passed, I'm still in, I'm still not going to be there. No one told me, guy, you move. And I started just to get tired of it. I didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't like it. And it was all not for me. So I was kind of not acting crazy, but putting myself in a, in a very weak position of myself, 
I don't want to do it, it's getting crazy. I packed my bag, I put my uniforms, and I started walking. Of course, with the expectation that someone's going to stop me on the way, and I'm not really going to leave now. But I really, I, yeah, I wanted to go now, because I knew that if I'm not going to do something wild, right? Not uh-huh. wild, but something, as the other guys, as the, those gangsters acting. Because mm-hmm. they shout and curse and do whatever, and they get it. And that's one of the points that you realize in the army, if you're not going to fight for what you want, you're not going to get it. And if you ask for something and they say no, maybe it's not no. But first you're going to say no. So it's it's time for me to fight, to fight for what I want. That's what I want and I'm going to go and... and was, okay, and I want, to see, I want to see psychology. I don't want to talk to anyone. Psychology, that's the only person I want to talk. And then the bigger commander of mine came and kind of begged to me, I'm not going to talk to you. I was shouting and, uh, guy, relax. Because, yeah, the happier, see me guy, normal, very nice, very kind. Never shout on them or accept every no they say. Suddenly it's getting crazy. Okay, okay, I want now, now. You have 24 hours to get me psychology. Like, so it's been 24 hours almost, and uh, okay, Gary, come, let's go to this, uh, to the doctor. And, and I sit with him, and uh, American dude, Jewish, who moved to Israel, and he knows about Ultimate Frisbee. I mean, the only person in my base, I know, thousands of pe- people, I have Frisbee, I play Frisbee with, with my friends, but he's the only person who knows the game I played. So it was fun, we had so many conversations, and then, Especially me being a, a national Israeli player in the army, going now to psychology, talk with him about, yeah. So the first time I was talking and saying, being very sad in the army and blah, 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 and I want to go move to this unit because of the frisbee. Mm-hmm. And now he knows what is frisbee. And I'm not an excellent athlete on papers that I get days free for that. But if he knows about it and he gives me the support, then I can go to the European champion again this year. So it's all connected very nice, and he told me the first meeting, guy, you're great, and we don't need to meet anymore, and you're very healthy and uh, smart, and blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, but I would love to see you again. So I kept on meeting with him, because the officers, and no one knows what we talk about. They just know that guy go to the, the psychology. It's kind of, not crazy, kind of mine. Not everyone goes. Right. But I kept on going, it was fun, and had these breaks during the day, sitting with him and chatting about army life, my girlfriend, or whatever. And, I don't know, destiny. <laughs> or not destiny. One of my friends wished for me, I wish you to be in the heavy equipment operator, but in this base, uh-huh. in our base, in the school of engineering. And that was the the, the top of the gangsters, the, the mafia, they had the keys for everything, they had, they do business with other bases, and getting money, and, Mafia of the army. Like really mafia. Really, really mafia. The highest level of the heavy equipment operators who spread around the country. Okay. That's the top. And and from that, my friend wished for me that. Uh, ah, fuck you. And uh, I wanted to go to the unit next to my house. There is something very close to my house. And I had two friends there. Perfect for me. I'm going to be there and uh, have fun. But uh, one day, these crazy people, these crazy operators, mafia, they had the, the building, beautiful building with gardens and swimming pool, not swimming, chilling pool, and well, and 
very magical heaven inside the desert, in the middle of the desert. Um, and the second floor was living the instructors of the new soldiers. They're not really part of the, the unit. They only, they do their own schedule and do the, the courses. Mm-hmm. So they don't really care about the garden or they don't have any emotion for this first floor. So they're not allowed to stay there. You want to stay there? You have 10 seconds to walk, go up the stairs. It's not your property. You are just an instructor. You're not an operator. So came this new officer. His father is a big, big thing in the army. And he talked to the commander of my base. We were friends or whatever. And together with his young uh, son, they decided to to kill this unit, to to find the, to do an operation and do something. So this officer's officer came to the center of the building, stand inside, and the soldiers start counting from ten to one. He didn't move, so they took all the bats and mood and whatever they had and fucking beat him. Really, send him to the hospital. But uh, now it's uh, finally they have something to shut down the unit, to close them. They send all the soldiers home, all the old ones, everyone home, except for one that is pure gold person. But send everyone home, and now they need new soldiers. A good ones, not the shittiest gunser they can find. And I'm just there. The other side of the fence is my building. Mm-hmm. They're going to take people from us. So, guy, welcome. We set you... You're moving. You're going to be an operator. Thanks to my friend who wished for me to be in this place. Mm-hmm. So I'm moving to this building who used to have a garden, who used to have a pool, who used to have a deck and TVs and beautiful. And now it's all destroyed and smashed and broken because that's what they did after they, they've they been told that they're living. Mm. So they smashed everything. Mm. And came also an operators from other units. So they, to be in a old operators in the unit and and they brought their myth and uh, stories and told us how it's supposed to work but we are 10 new soldiers with a lot of power good guys most of us that want to yeah we are the first generation of this unit now mm-hmm. reborn and we want to do something beautiful but the other ones they're old they did all everything in their units in the north or whatever and they made it beautiful so now they don't want to be part of it, but they're still gangsters. Mm-hmm. So they have this power for fights. And and I decided, okay, whatever, I'm just going to make it beautiful. We're not, we don't have any missions during the week most of the time. And if there is from 15 operators, maybe two, maybe three, maybe six soldiers going to work, and the rest stays in the building. So what you do is you, you renovate and you, you take care of the place. And and I love doing it since forever, and I learned a lot from my father. He's an engineer, so always dealing with the tools and uh, making stuff, fixing stuff. So I was doing this most of the time there, going to interesting projects when I when I feel like. And after I think one year, maybe a little bit more, I became the in charge of the works and the tools and all, mm-hmm. 
all the operation during the day in the building, not military soldiers mostly. Sometimes I need to say to him, okay, go, you have this to do. But usually it's stuff that we want just for the house. You know, we all work hard and I run the team and trying to make it also army and schedule. But I'm not a commander, I'm, not, I'm just a normal soldier with a responsibility. Got it. So in one head for them, those gangsters, I'm, I'm, I'm the same as them. How come that I tell them what to do and how to do? But at the other hand, I understand that it's better that I do it for them and I tell them, I talk to them than other people are going to... Because you're nice to them, you just ask them politely or what? Because, uh, yeah, I was trying. It was a very big test and lesson for me how to act with people. And especially with gangsters, that no matter what you're going to tell them, they're going to curse you and shout. And even <laughs> even though that you say it in a perfect way and there's no word to change and... That's how you're supposed to, supposed to say it. They behave and they will act the same. Okay. And so it was a challenge. And through the time we learned each other and it was a beautiful uh, energy. Hmm. And Can I ask real quick? I kind of want to like tie this all together because you touched upon your um, your ultimate frisbee, frisbee. Kind of you as an athletic individual growing up playing it had an opportunity to be part of the Israeli national team for ultimate frisbee yep. travel but then you had your mandatory military service pop up right as you were like getting to start to travel and go represent israel for the national championships true and you tried to then <clears throat> intertwine your national frisbee responsibilities with military responsibilities by joining this kind of like special unit yeah exactly. <laughs> did exactly that ever, did that ever work out did you actually get to have that time to go travel and then come back to the military i was going every summer so ultimate frisbee in israel is new and uh, there's not much money and it's growing now those but you days, were kind of like in a professional you were getting paid to do it no oh no 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 paid i paid to fr- for my flight and i paid for okay for most of the things because it's a sport a new sport and the federation opened, I think, even the year after I compete the first uh, the World Cup. How did you do, by the way, in the World Cup? It was 19 teams. I think we were 13. Nice. For the first uh, first competition after eight years that Israel represent. Mm-hmm. And every we're going up, up, up and up the scale. The nice. young ones under 15 doing very well. Um, so interesting yeah, I've actually top never, three they had a few times already yeah I've never mm. met actually but who ever represented their country for ultimate frisbee <laughs> <laughs> so with your military service and you being able to like juggle it when you finally got out of the military did you go full time into ultimate frisbee or? no I finished with the frisbee as I as I finished with the army oh really so I fly to Poland one year summer 2011 and 2012, I'm already almost releasing from the army, and then there is this tournament, tournament in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. I'm a soldier. Want to go to Amsterdam for one week? My yeah, the, all the officers, everyone knows me. Everyone may be expecting me, of course, guy. You're gonna, do you really think we're gonna let you go to Holland while you're in in service? Because I know you're just gonna smoke weed. Of course. <laughs> so. Yeah, with letters and whatever, and of course they let me go, and everything was fine. So I did uh, two flights while in, being in the army and representing Israel. 
compared to my brothers who were excellent athletes. They were Israeli champions in gymnasts. And when they needed to join the army, they had, they had this choice thanks to their uh, trophies and success. They could do a very kind of simple job in the office a few hours a day, be in the city in Tel Aviv and being able to just take the bus very quick to go and practice. Mm-hmm. And for me as a Frisbee player, there was no option like this. I don't know if there is any... I think there is only one ultimate Frisbee player until today who got to do this special... Got special treatment. Special treatment in the army. So I just expected and I was happy, for, thankful for being able to play and fly it even though I was not practicing too much. Yeah. Mostly I was back uh, weekends with my girlfriend in the kibbutz, drinking in the bar and uh, having sex. But <laughs> more than that, uh, yeah, I was playing frisbee, not much. You said kibbutz, which is interesting to me and I'd love my audience to l- know more about what that is because it is a significant part of Israeli culture. A lot of Americans have gone to Israel to be a part of a kibbutz. Um, I don't know much about its origins. Maybe you can help me and my audience understand more about a kibbutz, what it is, why it was created. So kibbutz started actually, we're going back to the first days of Israel. Many Jews came from, from Europe or from all over the world with no money, nothing in their hands, maybe no clothing, nothing. And, but they had the land. They had this Israeli land that we know that this is going to be our house and our generation's house. So let's get around together. Let's try to live together and create something, a village, a town, because they came to empty lands. And by building a few big tents and uh, making one fire and maybe slowly, slowly started growing stuff, it all became a work for everyone. Everyone need to do it because right now together there is no kibbutz literally existed uh, in, in the paper. It's just a group of people who want to create life, mm-hmm. create village. And from tents it became houses and from small garden it became fields. And from workshop it became factories. And everyone used to work the same, work the same amount of hours, getting the same food, getting the same treatment, even though that... One is the manager and the other one is just uh, washing dishes. So would you say that's more like a, a socialistic ideal or a communistic ideal? Yeah, came from a communistic ideal, I would say. And yeah, it's created a lot of, a lot of living in Israel. Mm-hmm. Many people will be able to come with no money, nothing, and just to join those groups, give their time. Someone going to cook in the big dining room. Someone going to wash the laundry. You just go to the field and work or mm-hmm. find your own... Uh, job to do. Did you grow up on a kibbutz? No, but my my grandpa and grandma were in the kibbutz at the beginning. My uncle just born, and in the kibbutz the kids, you have the one who take care of the kids. Mm-hmm. So, my grandpa just had a new baby, mm-hmm. and she needed to give the baby now to another woman to take care of him. She didn't like it. I mean, for years, you need for years, the baby stays and sleep over there. So they didn't like it, and they left the kibbutz. Those days, it happened very less, this uh, system of having the kids in one house and the parents living in another house. But around me and in the beach that I was uh, growing up in, it's a kibbutz, so I had a lot of kibbutz experience and friends and living in. 
atmosphere. I, I felt a lot of it. I didn't grow up on it. It's very unique uh, friendships. You have not many, many kids. So you have these 10 friends, very, very close and tight and have a, a lot of kibbutz living because it's a community. <laughs> right. And it's, a, it's a commune, basically. It really is. And, I mean, it, they still exist today. Yep. If somebody wanted to go join, they're pretty much all welcome. Is that how it works? I don't know. So some of the most of the kibbutz who survived is the kibbutzes with the money. The one who have factories who supplies maybe for the army or whatever. There is, it's all about if there is money, the kibbutz stays. If not, they sell the lands and starting to do something else. So those kibbutzes still accept volunteers from all over the world. People come and volunteer to to do whatever jobs there is in this kibbutz. I don't know to say if there is a limit, but I know that it's active and I see if I go to the bar in the kibbutz next to me, I can see every time ah, this friend, oh, Brazilian came, let's go to the bar. <laughs> oh, the Argentinians, go there. Russian. So every time there is a new group who comes and it's very fun for us to meet those volunteers and yeah, spend time with them. And uh, welcome to explore about it. When I'm sure I'm sure that you can find on the internet any info specifically how to join. I'll put it on, I'll put it in the show notes for people who are interested in learning more about kibbutzes and how to join if they want to have a pretty cool cultural experience. Yeah. Um, you know, you had your traveling experiences with the national team for Israel for the Ultimate Frisbee. Had you done any traveling before that with your family or by yourself? Like when was your first big travel experience by yourself away from Israel by myself was after the army after the army yeah. so you did the classic sort of like you leave the army and you leave for what a year to go travel there's no no time limit one-way ticket okay one everyone gets ticket. a one-way ticket after the army <laughs> I have Austrian passport okay so I'm European uh-huh. for me my friends were looking for a job in the US okay I'm going to Europe I have the passport I can stay there you can work legally I can work legally. I can buy one-way ticket. Mm-hmm. So I just automatically chose Europe. And what did you choose? I chose Holland. <laughs> I blame my friend. He wanted to, to go to Amsterdam for one week. He said, okay, if you go to Amsterdam, I'll come with you. So uh-huh. I said, okay, let's start in Holland. I stayed there for one year. Yeah, it was a great time. <laughs> uh, before we go into Holland experience, I want to ask, did you go to university? Like, how does that work in Israel? So like, because you, you basically come out of what you're... Primary high school. school, high school, and you go straight into the military. Finish high school, go to military. After military, you do university or traveling or working. Okay. But basically, the studies comes after army. Okay. And so you chose not to go to university and just to travel. Yeah. Got it. And you moved to Amsterdam to do what? <laughs> I moved to, to Holland to look for opportunity. I have this license from the army. I did a lot of carpentry works through the time. Also, while I'm in the army doing just random jobs because you have to earn money somehow while you're in the army. Mm -hmm. So I knew that, yeah, maybe they build the, I don't know, the windmills in Holland or (laughs) I thought they have wood, uh, wooden structure stuff. Actually, a friend told me, yeah, they have this carpentry school. Go there is perfect. So I had, I don't know, good energy about Holland and I started moving around every few days to, I got closer to the beach. I got to this rich beach of 
empty. Now it's Ghost Beach because it just season not even started. Okay. It's only rich people who live there for the season for the, like the summer. Yeah, season. but I see all the flags and I see the it's all clean and perfect and the boulevard is very nice and beach clubs and surfboards and kite surfing there, but no people. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, that feels good, right? First time landing, being on, on a beach with this energy that. As I grew up in living in uh, Israel, going to this uh, to the kibbutz uh, on the beach and seeing all of this, now I'm doing it in Europe. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I'm in the beach. That's what I want to look for. I want to look for a spot on the beach. I want to see, I don't know, let's find something. And I look at the map and I see The Hague, big city. I didn't even thought to go to, to The Hague. But I saw the, the beach, so I said, okay, let's go there. There is a hostel close to the beach. And it was a great time. Good energies, parties. And I really liked the, the, this, I really liked this city. Schevenigen is called. It's the kind of town part of Den Haag. Do you that, speak Dutch? Yeah. No way. A little bit. <laughs> I need to practice. But uh, by living with the languages, uh, I'll get to it. So I just thought, of, I saw the Dutch energy and I really liked it, even though that I'm in a city. My experience from city is Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. Massive and, and loud and uh, non-stop. But you're not from Tel Aviv. You're from up to the north, right? I'm from 40 minutes from Tel Aviv. Oh, okay. So but I on can... the beach, 40 minutes north. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's a different city. A city that maybe I can find myself stays. And it's all flat. And I have skateboard. So what's so... Let's stay. I started looking for jobs, started asking shops and carpenters in the streets, just, yeah, whatever, just going around and asking, looking for inspiration, maybe I'll find something. I wanted this cool job that's going to be perfect for me and my dream job to, to have fun, not to be a waiter or something I can do back home. And I kind of gave up. I met the skaters in the hostel. They told me, come, let's go to Belgium, let's go skate. Okay, I went to Belgium together with them. Found myself in Antwerpen. I've been there. I lived there for three months. You saw the Jewish yeah. with the wigs? Yeah, I lived right there on the, in the center square. So I've been in Holland, and one month in Holland, and I go to this city in Belgium. Which has tons of Hasidic Jews. Tons of Hasidic Jews, <laughs> and on the other side of the street, tons of Muslims. Yep. And... I'm walking, I'm a mochila backpacker with all the bags walking in elegant city. Looking for a hostel. It's a very expensive hotel. 100 euro maybe was the cheapest, was very late. And I said, okay, I'll go back to the train station. They shut down the doors. Shit, I need to spend the night anyway. I went to the park, I relaxed and I thought about it and I said, all right, you go back to the hostel in Den Haag. You're going to book yourself for one month. You're going to find a job. You're going to find life. and No more uh, bullshit around and going to other countries uh, and looking for adventures. All you need is to relax because you've been moving too much and... Spending too much yeah. money. So just do it. Go back. Spend the night now and go back. And I went back. And after a few days, I went with my friends. We walked on the boulevard all the way to the end until the pier. Then I see these containers, things, structures with campers and graffiti and all those surf uh, beach colors, energy. And 
what's this place? I'm with four friends, super happy just to walk in the, in the streets today. Founding this place, going up the place, having the beer. And as I sit on this fourth floor container Mirador platform, I see the guy, the dude down there fixing board. And I look at him sending and I see the movement and I hear the tools. I feel it. Yeah, I, I can do that. <laughs> I look at my friends. I found a job. And I went, went down. I went to talk to him. And then he called to the, to the shaper. I called to the shaper. I told him about my experience and uh, my plans for the next uh, one year or that I'm free now. I'm free to learn and I can stay for as much as you need, uh, as much as you need me for now. And he said, okay. Let's start from tomorrow. Let's start with watching. So spend the time there, not getting any money, still learning how to do it. Like, yeah. So I'm just spending all day with the with the dude who make the reapers. And you made the what? The reapers fixing the dings. Okay. Reapers. Okay. And and meanwhile, I found another job next to my hostel. There is a guy who opened a new vintage shop. So we need me to make all the vintage stuff to be able to sell. So I was sending those school chairs and he would sell them for 170. Actually, I will remember one chair. It was so bad, so bad condition. I just send it a little bit, make it nice, nice and smooth. He sold 70 bucks, 70 euro. No way. First chair that I was you working five years. 10 euros for it probably. And I was getting $7 an hour, 7 euro yeah. an hour minimum. But yeah. he was making non-stop by... It's my good. products that I was renovating. But it was fun and get, you got me also food and I had this uh, safety safety money and I can keep on going to learn how to fix boards. Mm -hmm. So that was all my, my mind was on the boards and the job is just a job. And all the boys from the surf uh, surf industry over And we talk about surfing, we're talking about actually like surfing that we do here in Nicaragua or are we talking about like windsurfing? No, we talk about uh, surfing Nicaragua, waves. Like waves, like paddle into it, stand up and surf. Yeah. Because a lot of like Europeans, when they <laughs> say surfing, they mean like windsurfing or like height surfing. Okay. No, but over there is uh, the fixing boards and uh, surfboard surfing. factory, making okay. boards. Got it, got it. Trying to catch waves if there is. <laughs> <Okay>. Yes. <laughs> gotcha. No, there are storms. It's a lot of wind and true windsurfing, kite surf is the best in the world. So practice, coming to practice over mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And, but the surfers still want to surf and Dutch people love having, having fun and enjoy life and surf culture is a okay. lot about it. That's cool. So to sing it all together and actually in Holland is less surfing, but just living surf culture. Okay. So wait, let's talk about this. So because there aren't many waves, I mean, it does come and go, but like, so they, they live a surf culture as like they really try to act out what it might be like to be a surf a surfer even though they can't surf every day many of them taking vacations and know how to surf oh okay gotcha and i was fixing so many boards that just came from airplanes oh. not necessarily from the ocean <laughs> okay gotcha that's and, cool but there, there are waves and mm -hmm. i learned to surf in holland okay i started on a longboard almost every day you can surf just a flat Flat water moving. Not Sounds cold. And it is cold. Yeah. Summertime, wintertime, you touch ice. Oof. I did once. It was a big, big shock. 
and it's happening. It's really cool. So you did a year there, and then did you go back to Israel, or did you continue on and come to? Uh, Went back America? to Israel. Was uh, winter started? Mm-hmm. I started touching ice in the water, and uh, just was too too wintry for me, and I just decided to go back to Israel, started making boards, started uh, fixing boards. I have many tools, and I have uh, shade in my house from. Thanks to my father who have everything, so I can start making my own uh, workshop. Mm-hmm. And I did. Started get customers and uh, from friends and other people around. Still, there is no Facebook or no uh, commercial anything. Mouse to nose and building slowly, slowly my uh, my clients. I still want to go travel and I cannot have this business commitment of uh, people uh, want me to be around. And again, not for big investments. So I do have all the tools I need, and uh, the jobs is uh, the jobs. The rippers are great. Yeah. And and by doing that, living in Israel, it's very challenging and hard. Still, you need to work in another job because I cannot really push myself to have so many customers by promoting. So I just get what I have, and it's very nice to stay stay in shape, keep on fixing the boards, but working. Interesting what I was doing meanwhile. Most of, the, in the last few years, I was working with the tons of uh, constructions, mm-hmm. any type of, mm-hmm. can be const- uh, carpentry, metal, making pools with my uncle, making uh, roofs with my cousin, doing a lot of carpentry with a, with a carpenter, today a good friend. And, and many, many random jobs. If it's thanks to my license, driving trucks from place to place, and maybe deliveries, uh, houses from place. A lot of random jobs, and keep on trying to fix boards every week to have something. But uh, getting money from from the outside, not from the boards, and not from. Got it. So you have, you have a few jobs that you saved up enough money then to come travel in Central America. Uh, no, not this this one. So I was looking for an, a job that I can stay and earn money. My mother, guy, go to job, go to work, make uh, make a living, <laughs> get out of the house, be be alone. And but it's it's challenging in Israel, and the money, everyone complain, and the money is not enough for create living and save for traveling. Mm-hmm. So if I want to live alone, there's no way I'm going to travel soon. Okay. Randomly, one day I went to the local bar. Met uh, a friend and I, another friend. And the other friend, new friend for me, told me about that he's going to work on a boat. And I said, what? I want to work on a boat too. I was a sailor when I was young. And I want to work too. I have the experience. I know how to fix boards. I can fix the the boat easy. I have, what else? Engine I have from the army. I have everything. I want to come to work. So we talked to the captain, and uh, I met and kept, met the captain and the owner. And in the summer 2012, I was uh, working. 12. Whoa! Sorry, I miss wrong. 2016. 2016. All right. Yeah. 2016. So I was working on a boat. Joined to motor sailing yacht. Steel frame, 37 meters, with a floating boom, mm-hmm. and millions. Yeah, I'm, I'm on a boat now. 
very very expensive rich off the coast boat. of Israel off the coast of Israel I just took a flight to Cyprus mm-hmm. while I'm in the airport I get this phone call from the army telling me that next week I have this practice that I need to come <laughs> I'm sorry I'm on my way to Cyprus and they're okay with that you can say I'm not gonna make it yeah I have ticket they cannot force me I didn't know that there is any training mm-hmm. and so yeah I okay was, it was okay so I started and I joined the boat and there is a Cypriot uh, crewmate on the boat, another Israeli that is my friend, Israeli captain, and uh, two Filipino girls. They're not on the boat yet. We're still just working and cleaning and making it ready for the season. And started working on the boat, learning together with the captain. He's a commander from the Navy SEALs. Very the Israeli Navy SEALs. Yeah, he was there many, many years back in the days. Mm-hmm. So he's a very, very interesting, uh, he's a master, he's not a captain, he's a master and he's really a super appreciated uh, master in wow, Israel. cool. And I'm in his hands now. I'm lucky to have this opportunity and learn how to move a boat that it's a very special boat. Owned by like some rich Israeli? Yeah. Okay. So I'm happy, I'm there working having some hard time with the Cypriot guy because he feels that now two new guys coming, take his place. Okay. The captain speaks more Hebrew than English. Mm-hmm. So there is this kind of fight on the boat, or not fight, but ego. Yeah. Ego, feel, ego feeling is floats. Yeah. And the season starts and we started moving around to Greece, jumping from island to island, seeing magical spots and... Uh, Really having good sailing time. And playing the game, waking up in the morning, sometimes cleaning the boat while he's watching because he drink the coffee and sometimes he want to drink this coffee when we're not around. So every morning we're just trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. This is the captain? For the show. For the owner. Oh, for the owner, I see. Because he paid a lot of money and he yeah. cannot see us drinking coffee. Got it. But when he sees us working, he say, hey, why you don't drink coffee? I see. <laughs> so he's old and he wants to play games and play with his mind and our mind and see what happened or maybe make us fight and it's funny. Jesus Christ. And so it's been a few interesting months. Yeah. And I quit with smoking weed. So I had a lot of dreams. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of dreams. And we, every morning we were sitting and talking about my dreams and sometimes dreams became true. Dreams became reality. We finished sailing, stormy, stormy sail. We got to, to island. I think, yeah, we got to Piraeus, to Atuna. And we stopped the boat and very tired after a night of sailing. Now is midday shift. Someone need to stay awake. It's the Cypriot guy turn. He want to, we want to go to sleep. He want to go to drink. So why? Why shouldn't we, shouldn't we stay on the boat? But no, we went to sleep and there was a fight about this and we went to sleep. And I have this dream tripping me of me being in a basement naked, every, always naked in those dreams. <laughs> Don't know why. And I'm watching my two crewmates standing on the stair next to the stairs and having this argument. I don't know about what, but they're fighting and I'm on the side. Mm-hmm. And the finish fight, I go up, and as I go up and want to go back to the house, right, it's a dream, I go back to the house and I see these two gypsy kids 
and I'm smiling to them or going through them and they stabbing me with knives. Hmm. Stabbing in my hand. I wake up from the stab and when, while I see them, they see the Cypriot laughing, joking mm-hmm. in the dream. And yeah, the, the Israeli friend came and helped me kill the, kick the, the kids mm-hmm. and I woke up mm-hmm. and I woke up with the pain in my hand mm-hmm. from the stab or mm-hmm. I don't know. And I wake up and the captain called us that we need to help to lift the, the compressor of the diving gear fell while sailing. Now it's very weird because I, I put the, the compressor in place. Mm-hmm. I tied the screws. I put the ropes just to make sure that the screws will not open. And somehow the compressor still fell over. Yeah. And the screws are gone. Mm-hmm. And the rope was not tied. Mm-hmm. So the compressor was on the ground. I don't think the storm made it. Right. I, don't, I really don't think it is, but it doesn't matter. You just woke me up. I will help you to lift it. But the other guy took it more seriously and he understands. So he was kind of looking for having a fight with him. And I'm standing on the other side of the compressor with my, with the captain and they started fighting. He asked him for the rope. He doesn't give him the rope. It's like kids. I'm the kid on the boat. Mm-hmm. I'm 23 years old. The other guy is 33 and the Cypriot is 39. But I'm the kid on the boat. So they fight about the rope, who's going to give and not help and blah, blah, blah. And me and the captain looking at each other. At the end, I kicked one of them, lifted. Put, we put it in place. And the Cypriot was laughing, uh, shouting and saying, uh, you're going to listen to me and blah, 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 blah. Now, we don't know that the owner sitting above us right now. When we went out, he wasn't there, but the Cypriot guy came later. And... As we go up the stairs, we see the owner, and the owner tells us, come, come, come. To everybody? No, for, to me and to the other Israeli. Okay. You're going to listen to what he said, and he started shouting at us, and if you don't want, you're gonna, you can go from here, very shouting and saying very sharp words, and you know how to speak and how to get angry, and you mm-hmm. just know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Same as he made all his millions of <laughs> dollars or whatever. He know how to speak. And yeah, it's kind of stabbing me. And we go back to the the room drinking coffee and relaxing, thinking about what just happened. And I'm telling him about my dream that was just five minutes before that. Yeah. And just the same situation. So I had a lot of... I was trying to find there on the boat some reality and some interest by those dreams and have this kind of spiritual energy on mm-hmm. the boat. Because it was very mainly energy tough uh, crowds mm-hmm. so at the end of the season I told them thank you we had a great time I had a lot of experience but uh, I saved a lot of money I didn't spend anything while working on a boat how long was the season the season was five months okay so I saved all the money went back to Israel kept on fixing boards now I have more customers, more people want me to fix their boards. And it's very, yeah, it's nice. Uh, I can work less in other random jobs. And I joined to a friend of mine. He's got this super fun business, Photomobile. Mm-hmm. It's a VW mm-hmm. Beetle that's inside full of flowers and camera and screen. And we take the car to weddings and events and kids and people having, taking photo shoots like a booth uh, 
Yeah, photo booth. Photo booth. Yeah, they get in and take a photo. Just in a VW. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's cool. Driving during the day, at night being there, <laughs> with the nice clothing, smells good. Sometimes cigar or good whiskey from the from the bar. And uh, beautiful people, everyone dressed so yeah. nice because it's weddings always. So I was doing this and fixing boards. That's rad, dude. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And then you came to Central America. Yeah, and then I realized uh, time to go, time mm-hmm. to move, and uh, this time, this time I'm going to surf. This time I'm not traveling. All the Israelis, you said, they want to go to Machu Picchu and Michi Michi and to Tikal and do all these beautiful places that I was in Tikal. And yeah, I understand why they want to do it. But for me, all I want is just find this again, another beach, but this time with waves. Yeah. This time I'm going to be with no clothes or maybe just just pants but I don't need any sweatshirt or gloves or hoodie or I want to surf on the beach and everyone go to Costa Rica everyone talk about uh, Panama but uh, I couldn't hear anything about Nicaragua mm. but I look at the map and it's kind of kind of the same side same place El Salvador I heard about waves Mexico I heard about waves so Nicaragua I didn't hear anything interesting maybe Time to go there. To, to go there. I definitely couldn't find any info in Hebrew. So it must be a good place and I'm going to be me. Me and another people from other... Yeah. Real, other real adventures. Real adventures and not uh, by seeing so many Israel in there on the way. Yeah. And I found it in, uh, as a great place to go. The flight was cheap. So I did, okay. The, Nicaragua is cheap. That's the place. How long have you been gone for on this trip? Eight months so Eight far. Months. You have to go back soon? I need to go back in a month. Yeah. I did. Uh, it's not a mistake. I'm happy to go back home. Yeah, yeah. To, to see family. But uh, I bought two-way ticket. Oh, so, you bought a round trip. So if you had only bought one way, would you think you still stay? I would definitely, yeah. yeah. I would be able to find... Uh, I'm also running out of money now. Yeah. So it's kind of... It's all end the end of the, the trip yeah. feeling. But uh, I will definitely look. I w- if I, I had an open ticket, I would definitely look for an opportunity to earn some money. Yeah. Uh, maybe making fixing boards, renting here. There is enough uh, <laughs> shades uh, free yeah. that I can take over. But maybe, in, maybe in the future. Do you have plans to come back? I want to come back. There is no plan yet. No ticket bought. No ticket. The plan is to go back home and be spend with family time and just put my effort in this. And the decision where to go next and what to do will come. So, but the plan would be though to like leave again. You're not going back to get married and and start a life in Israel. No, definitely to <laughs> spend spend some time in Israel, be with friends, be with family, and find the next adventure. Got it. Maybe keep on surfing, maybe go to India and find more spiritual uh, experience. Interesting. And then is that like a lifestyle that you try to, you're trying to cultivate or is it just for where you're at right now in your life? Well, generally I'm trying to cultivate lifestyle for myself. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter where I'm going to go, but I'm trying to be vegan. Yeah. Right? Sometimes they say I am vegan, but I still eat tons of chocolate and ice cream and <laughs> some other stuff. Yeah. So I really try to create a healthy, healthy lifestyle. I'm doing yoga since I came here to Nicaragua, since I came to Gigante. Mm-hmm. I started with yoga and it feels great. So step by step, I will add more. And now going back to Israel after 
doing being uh, being yogi and healthy and been not drinking so much alcohol as before uh, it's a big uh, big challenge and, and I'm happy to go back and experience that again by being in the normal environment that I already know yeah and I'm doing it here right now in Gigante I was in Gigante for five months went to Guatemala had my adventure in the wild mm-hmm. I left Gigante became home at the beginning and now I'm living home I know my surfboard is still here my skateboard is still here so I will be back I'm going to this adventure in Guatemala with the, my sister and my brother actually nice and we traveled and did all the this touristic stuff and we saw many Israelis in the restaurant and in all the groups for climbing the Akatenengo. I could hear the four girls in Hebrew. And so I did have this Israeli experience by traveling in something that, yeah, I don't like. Because the language and the interest of being in a group of traveling who chasing uh, activities and chasing mountains and stuff that is uh, very commercial is is intense mm-hmm. and so it was intense the same but my sister came only for two weeks so we had to do this touristic uh, energy trip it was yeah, it was a lot of fun and we saw beautiful places but after they left and it was it was a lot because now being with my brother and my sister and speak a lot of hebrew after being in nicaragua trying to speak spanish as much as i can <laughs> and forget the hebrew all I wanted is to find uh, a relax, a relaxation. And now I'm out of the surf, out of uh, everything. I'm alone and I can maybe deal with myself and be, be quiet some, somewhere. Yeah. My brother before went to Atitlan, Lago Atitlan in Guatemala. So he told me, go there. It's beautiful. And I went to San Pedro, the place he went. And uh, four hostels Israeli, another five restaurants, <laughs> and all packed and full of Israelis. And I understand why he had fun, but and I also had some fun and a party for two days. But quickly, I was looking for something else around the lake. Got it. And Lago Aditlan have a lot to offer by being very spiritual and powerful and beautiful sunset with volcanoes in the middle and many many yogi activities or ceremonies of cacao and dancing and very healthy life and i found myself on the mountain place called el castillo it's uh the castle the castle and creepy crazy building built by an old german uh, who lives down in panachachel down uh, the lake and he was since his son born he was building this place Every time adding a new structure, a new window, a new bottle, nothing is connected and makes sense, but at the end is, is very cool. And if stop with it. And then two years ago, his son decided together with his friends to go there and create kind of a community living and try to grow more food and take care of the house and have people comes, comes and goes and have ceremonies and events. And I found myself over there, spend there two days was very good but then the guy who lived there the whole time telling me yo listen i have to go i have to translate the pharmaculture course you mind to stay for the next two weeks to be the king of the castle and take <laughs> off the dogs I'm like yeah i want to be the king of the castle <laughs> so i was there for two days naked happy alone only me and the castle and the dogs and people started coming people comes and goes 
Random people. Random people. Some of them for work away. Some of them from other places around the lake. Mm-hmm. And I had this great time with beautiful platform, and I got I relaxed. I didn't need to speak any Hebrew. I didn't need to deal with the with the any waves or to put my any speed up. Everything is very slow. Mm-hmm. And I wake up in the morning, and my morning coffee is between three to four hours. And after that, I make my breakfast. And together with the yoga and the meditation, and maybe just relax or thinking about life, or just smiling, sitting, singing. And I've been there for two months. Now, with all this willing and wishing to be relaxed, a few days ago, I just came to the castle and I hear about Hurricane in Gigante. Mm-hmm. And this Hurricane in Gigante is something big. I don't know what's going on, really. There is no info. Gigante don't have any internet. I get messages from a friend in Managua. And I'm kind of, okay, maybe I should go back to Gigante. Why do I make this break now in Guatemala? I want to go back to my new hometown in uh, Central America and help to put the house together. Maybe not to the house that I was volunteering, but maybe to the old poor Nikas who don't have any house anymore now. Right, yeah, a lot of Nicaraguans lost their house in the hurricane. And so for me it was very frustrating and I didn't know what to do. Randomly I met friend I know from Nicaragua, from Ometepe, and I met him there in Atitlan. So he was with me and he was understand the feelings that I have and is also knew a little bit about what's going on. And he, together with him, he told me, guy, take your time and stay and it's going to take a while anyway over there. So I really took a big inhale and I stayed for two months with, with a feeling of, I want to go back, I want to go back, I want to go back to Nicaragua to help, but I want to stay and because there's so much experience and this practice of being, being alone. And having this uh, environment to allows you to be the healthiest that I've ever been in my life. No alcohol at all. Eating only good food, vegan. And But I want to go back to Gigante, the party place with all the chicken and fish and, uh, <laughs> and, yeah, and alcohol. So I'm delaying it and I decided to, t- yeah, to go back. I came back now to Gigante a few weeks ago. It feels great. It feels powerful. It feels. Yeah. I still drink some alcohol from days. Mm-hmm. If there is an event or if the woman is beautiful and she offer me the shot, <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to stay healthy and I'm trying to, yeah, keep the rhythm clear and and happy. Well, whether you're uh, vegan or not, we're always happy to have you here. It's nice to have you back. And thank you. I mean, you know, you're obviously an adventurer. You're somebody who's, I think, still searching, still wanting to just be you in your own way be free i mean do you ever see yourself making life for yourself in israel do you think you'll always kind of be moving around making small homes and places around the world i definitely look for always been dreaming to build my own house mm-hmm. in, with my own hands so it will definitely happen uh, it will definitely happen mm-hmm. i don't know where got it i want to have a house on the beach with epic waves and maybe to build the mini ramp over there and that's all I need. A mini ramp, yeah. Uh, a pool. <laughs> yeah. One with water and one for the skateboard. But uh, who knows where it will be. Okay. No, no one knows. 
Well, it's cool, man. It's a cool story. Thanks for sharing your adventures with us, man. It's always nice to hear. Thank you for having especially, me. Especially, I think, in America, we don't always get, you know, the perspective of Israelis or, you know, people from that part of the world because they don't, I mean, I don't know how many Israelis go to America for their, their year to travel, but, you know. They, a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Because they go to sell stuff. They go to sell stuff? Selling. Oh, sailing? You no, know, sell. It's sell. To work salesman in the oh, really? canyons and the oh, interesting. Uh, paints or... Huh. Yeah. I didn't know that. Where? Where? Like, specifically, have you heard? Big malls. All over. You huh. have those... Never been, never saw it. I did been, but never saw it, really. But you have the these islands in the middle of the mall. Okay. They try to sell you a lot of stuff. Yeah. This. And somehow Israelis go there to sell their shit? I think most of them are Israelis. <laughs> I'm going to look into that, dude. That's interesting. <laughs> Illegal. Illegal. Okay. Some cool to know. Well, yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for sharing your stories, and I uh, look forward to hearing about what happens and, and where you finally wind up settling and building your house. Thank you. Much love, brother. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.